0: This week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast is brought to you by the patrons of the Rural Woman Podcast. This amazing group of individuals contribute financially to the Rural Woman Podcast to ensure the stories of women in agriculture hit your earbuds each and every week. Want to join them in supporting the stories of women in agriculture while getting access to extended episodes, patron-only episodes, and other great perks? Head on over to WildRollsFarmer.com to learn more about how you can become a patron through Patreon. Hi, I'm Caitlin Dubin, and this is the Rural Woman Podcast. I'm a first-generation farmer who married into agriculture. Born and raised in a city, I was so unfamiliar with where my food came from, but I was determined to figure it out. Through my journey into agriculture, I saw women who were strong, but humble, often taking a back seat. To me, these women were leaders who deserved a seat at the table. I created the Rural Woman podcast to share the voices of women in an industry whose stories often went untold. The rural entrepreneurs who live and breathe their work full of grit and pride. We come here to share our stories, to be in community with each other, to be challenged and inspired, but most importantly, to be celebrated and to be heard. We may not all live, farm, ranch, or homestead the same, but we are all connected. We are rural women and our stories are worthy of being told. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Rural Woman podcast. Today you'll meet Janice Harris. From a young age, Janice has always been drawn to pretty flowers. After going away for post-secondary education and having a successful optical career, Janice has returned to her roots and has rekindled her love of flowers. Harris Flower Farms is a local gem providing a bountiful array of beautiful blooms for the community, including local farmers markets, weddings, and special events. This year marks the 15th growing season for Harris Flower Farms. This is a significant milestone, and we are excited to delve into the challenges and triumphs that have shaped this incredible journey for Janice. Before we get to today's interview, I would like to invite you, if you haven't done so already, to please leave a rating and review wherever you listen to the Rural Woman podcast. This helps give the social proof that the stories of women in agriculture are worthy of being shared and are being enjoyed by listeners like you. And you may hear your kind words on an upcoming episode of the show. Without further ado, my friends, let's get to this week's episode with Janice. Janice, welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast. How are you today? I'm good. I'm glad to be here. I am so glad that you're here, and I'm so glad we get to talk about one of my favorite things today, which is flowers. (laughs)
1: they are pretty dreamy and it's funny when people always have like that dreamy idea of me out there in the field picking with a wicker basket in that in a white linen dress and that it's like no that's not not what it is but it is still pretty beautiful i know you probably can't see the sign behind
0: me um but what it says is farming ain't wicker baskets and sundress sundresses bitches so (laughs)
1: That's so funny. That and was a So quote. many people say to me too that it's like, oh, I'd love to do this when I retire. It's like, I don't want to work this hard when I retire.
0: No <laughs> doubt. No <laughs> doubt.
1: <laughs> well, for the folks who are
0: unfamiliar with you, Janice, tell us more about yourself. Who are you and how the heck did you get your start in agriculture?
1: So I'm Janice Harris and I live in uh, St. Thomas, Ontario, And my parents had organic vegetables and they grew that for my whole childhood. They were kind of the ones who uh, quit their government job and started growing vegetables. And so growing up on the vegetable farm, I helped out and I was always there, but I never wanted to be a farmer. I was always like, nope, I'm going to get a job, get a real job. Um, and I'm gonna go to school and all that and so I went to school to be an optician and I did that for about 10 or 15 years I was working as an optician and then I met my husband who grew up on a beef cow calf farm and I don't know I guess I like wanted to prove that I was still a little bit of farm girl or something and I wanted something to do after work so I started growing flowers to sell at the farmer's market because my parents were still going to the farmer's market in St. Thomas. And I grew that summer 3,000 gladiolias, so not like small or anything. And then just kept going from there and adding more and more flowers every year. And that was like 15 years ago. And now uh, this is my full-time job. I quit my optician job uh, three years ago and I've been uh, doing flower farming full-time. So My husband still does work off the farm. He goes to work in the day and then comes home and uh, picks sunflowers at night with me. So uh, we still do that, and we have three kids uh, who are involved. I mean, as much as like an eight and ten and thirteen year old are involved, but they are involved and help out uh, on the farm too. So
0: that's an amazing story, and I love that you know you wanted to prove that there was still some farm girl left in you. So not only did you just plant a few flowers, you planted 3,000 flowers. So I really, truly think that's the farm girl that was left in there that just needed to come out.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. At our farm now, we do farm on my grandparents' farm. We bought their farm in 2011. So my grandpa and grandma's farm was one road south of my parents' farm. So we bought that and grandpa used to milk dairy cows back when you could milk like 14 cows and raise six kids and that. So that was uh, the dairy farm there. And then the fields were all just seed of pasture or for um, the neighbors did the corn and soybeans and that cash crops on them. And then uh, when we bought the farm from them, we changed it all over into flowers.
0: That's incredible. Well, it- And you're a multi-generational farmer. And like you said, your grandparents had the dairy and your parents had their vegetable farm. So from your perception as the next generation who has made, you know, rather a large transition, what has that been like for you? And what has that, you know, for your grandparents for seeing them, you know, from farming the way that they did all the way to, you know, 15 years later a successful booming flower farm
1: yeah yeah it's good and grandma lives in town so she does still come out to the farm often and see things because the other cool thing about having grandma and grandpa's farm is they planted a lot of perennials and a lot of um, woody trees and that so like the lilacs that are here grandma and grandpa planted and there's a lot of perennials growing around the house that they planted so that's really cool to still have that that connection and then like Um, going through the vegetables and seeing that like, there's definitely parts that my parents and I share equipment. So there are things that we can adapt and make it work for flowers and for vegetables, but there's a lot of learning and new things. So uh, my mom does a lot of the seeding in that and she knew vegetables and she knew seeding vegetables, but it was a whole different kind of thing to learn about seeding flowers and the different ways that things go, like where even like in the harvesting and that with vegetables, if there's a tomato with a spot in it, well you can just cut that spot out. But if there's a flower with a bite in a petal or something like that, it can't be used the same. Or if you need a certain color for a wedding, you can't interchange that as you could with a vegetable and say, oh well it's a we're gonna use um, paste tomatoes instead of slicing tomatoes or whatever. So it's definitely a challenge in learning that kind of stuff as well. And the differences between flowers and vegetables and and other kind of crops too. I think
0: this is just my personal opinion. I think learning these new things, especially as you get older, I think that's what keeps you young and keeps things interesting. At least for me, you know, learning these new things and, you know, like you said, learning different ways to use things, learning when things need to be seeded or when they needed to be harvested, all of those things... That's what keeps agriculture interesting. And for the folks who, you know, maybe don't want to learn anything new, they're like, nope, this is the way that we do it. We're only growing this or we're only planting this and this is how we do it because this is how we've always done it. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I feel like those are the farmers that maybe give us a bad name.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, I definitely see that. I definitely, definitely understand
0: that. So what was it then that, made you drawn to flowers? You said you wanted something to do after work. Why was it flowers versus anything else?
1: Yeah, I think it's always been flowers. I mean, even as like a a little kid, my dad was really um, part of our horticulture society. And even like, I still go to our horticulture society meetings now. And it's like, they all knew me from when I was like a five-year-old running around in the hall and that. So it's always been in flowers. I find flowers more fun. I have like different times go, oh, well, I'll put in some broccoli or something like that, or we need to do something else. And I think one time I put in beets or something like that. And it's just, I don't find vegetables as much fun. I don't know. Like, it's just not the same for me.
0: Yeah. I can't imagine beets being as sexy next to all of the beautiful flowers that you grow. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The dirty root vegetable. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So Flower farming obviously isn't new. People have always grown flowers and, you know, for industry and whatnot. But I feel like flower farming within the last, gosh, 10 years has started booming. What have been some of the biggest transitions in your industry that you've seen over the last 15 years?
1: Yeah, definitely. There was an influx in like 2018, 19, that kind of stuff. Flowers really came into fashion again, like it was definitely cool. And I definitely attribute that to a few major flower farmers that got out there and were in the magazines. And they were in Martha Stewart Magazine, Erin Benzikane from Florette Farm in Washington State. She really kind of got everything going again and really got people to think about local flowers and flowers differently than ones that were just shipped in from wherever kind of thing there's so many flowers that we use every day that many florists don't and haven't used just because that's not a flower that they get off the flower truck or from the wholesaler so it's really learning about the local and I think it was a little bit behind the local food movement but like going into the local flower movement as well there was a huge influx of flower farmers in that 2018 2019 and then definitely 2020 everyone was home not doing their Jobs and all that. So flower farming definitely got, and any kind of growing I found really like having a garden, so you could go outside and do your garden during the pandemic was a big thing, and it really like for me a testament of like sticking to it. So now we're starting to see those ones that started in 2020. It's like oh, it was really fun the first year, and then the next year it's like okay, this is fun and it's still working well, and now this is like the third year, and it's like wow, this is hard, and this is like wow, the weather didn't work out this year the same as it has the last couple of years. So we're definitely finding like there are dropping off for sure. Like, I don't know that I would say that it's plateaued, but it's definitely people are are changing their minds about it because it is still hard work. And it's not quite as romantic as what the, the magazines put it out to at the beginning.
0: Right. Yeah. There's not as much twirling as uh, one had thought. <laughs> <laughs> So take us through, I guess, the transition of your last 15 years of flower farming. You know, you started, I would probably for you, you would say you started small, but 3000 for me sounds like a lot, (laughs) but take us through that transition. And I guess eventually to the point where this turned into your absolute full-time job by leaving your previous job.
1: So yeah, like the first year was just selling at the farmer's markets and then we added more and more. And through those years too, um, we my husband and I just got married and um, we had our, our three kids. So part of the trying out the uh, full time was during my maternity leaves. So I would be growing as well. And then just every year growing more and adding more things. And it was really big, like sunflowers are still a big part of our crop mix. But at the beginning, that was kind of our major thing that we would do. So we got like a special planter to plant the sunflowers going through that and then there was just more and more demand for it outside of the just the farmers markets and then added in uh, flower subscriptions so with that people uh, buy usually in November we sell them so that they're Christmas presents but they're buying uh, bouquets for the next season which is a great cash flow in the winter time for us to get some money in when we don't have necessarily flowers to sell so we're getting the rent and then they're getting their bouquets later on this season. And we've been doing that, I would say at least eight years now. And we're at the point now where last year we had to double our number of subscriptions because everybody who was buying them the year before was just renewing. So then there was never any new room for anybody to come in. So we do the subscriptions and they're like a really, really big part of our business. Um, and selling at the different farmers markets there's been time years where we sold at like three different farmers markets and that was a lot and like splitting us all different directions and that so we kind of we still do the farmers markets but do our one main one and then at the farm now so that it's more centralized and it's not as much driving all over everywhere and then we a few years ago I don't even remember how many years ago we picked up Selling wholesale bouquets to little grocery stores in the area. So there's one little um, grocery store in St. Thomas that we sell to. And then there's a few farm stand markets. So there are other farmers that have like... The one has corn and different like vegetables and that. But then we add in and we bring the flowers for them to sell flowers there. So that really helps our through the week. So that we have the wholesales going out all throughout the week. And then uh, markets on the weekend... And then when you do farmer's markets and people see your flowers, they always start going, well, my daughter's getting married, or I have a friend that's getting married. Do you do wedding flowers? And for the first little bit, I was pretty afraid of it. But uh, And it's my sister actually went to school to be a florist. So for the first few years, she was really helping me out and teaching me things. She doesn't actually work as a florist or with me anymore, but that's okay. Uh, she has a whole different career now. But learning that and doing the first few weddings, um, there's a few friends I got married. So I did their flowers and just kind of stepping my toes into that. And that has just totally like snowballed this year. I think we're at about 60 weddings for the year that we do. So yeah, and they're basically from mid-April, May until uh, late October. So there are definitely a few weeks where there's a lot of weddings like... A couple of weeks ago, we had eight. And then this past weekend, we had three. So, normally, three is kind of our norm for wedding flowers and that. So, big part of our business is the weddings now. And then, thanks to COVID, one positive from COVID, I guess, is that we see our website a lot more. And now we have like an online shop, and people can order flowers like they would from a florist shop and have them delivered to people in our area. One of my helpers is a basically a her drive. That's what she does is deliver all the flowers. She's a driver for me, and she's delivering out like birthday arrangements or funeral flowers or celebration arrangements to people in the area. It's really cool too to see that we get orders from people from Germany and all over the world for people in our area. So that's pretty cool. That's one positive of COVID, I guess. Right. Well,
0: (laughs) just the sheer expansion that you've been able to do based on you wanted something to do after work has been (laughs) absolutely incredible. And for you to make that sustainable, like you had said, like there are a lot of people who start off with this idea that, oh, I'll plant some flowers and then it grows and grows and grows. And by year three, once the pests come in or once there was no rain or whatever it was, then it's kind of like, okay, maybe not. But you've been able to persevere through that and grow into what you're growing now. And you had mentioned, you know, your growing season, which to me sounds quite long. First of all, I always, I always forget to ask this question and the gardeners and the growers are always like, why didn't you ask what zone are you in?
1: Yeah. So we're, um, I would say either like five B six A. Um, so we are definitely warm and I, hats off to the people in like zone three growers and that kind of stuff i don't know i don't know if i would do all this for that
0: (laughs) oh yeah we're i think we're about three four or it kind of goes in between depending on where you're standing and where it picks up on but uh so tell us about your growing season then and all of the flowers that you grow tell us what you're growing
1: yeah So um, we start right now, I'm actually seeding for next spring already. So we do cool flowers, it's called. So we're planting things like nigella and bachelor buttons and larkspur. We can plant them now kind of like a winter wheat. So they get growing and get established and then they just hang out over the winter time. And then next spring they start growing and they have that jump on the rest of them. So we're already seeding things for next year um, right now. And so then if we start like the beginning of the year, January, we don't really do too much. January is kind of like our off month. Uh, It's our, yeah, just getting caught up on things. And then uh, February is when the seeding in the greenhouses start. So we start doing that and we're also dividing our daily tubers in February. So that's a busy month. And then stuff will start blooming usually in late February, early March. In the greenhouse, we force uh, tulips in the greenhouse And then we also had some snapdragons blooming in the greenhouse this past year. And then after the heated greenhouse, then we go into some of the unheated ones. So we'll have tulips in April going and also ranunculus in April and May. And um, I'm, I know I'm totally going to forget flowers as I'm going, but then there's all the um, the outdoor bulbs, spring bulbs like the daffodils and the heirloom narcissus. We like to call them heirloom narcissus because that sounds prettier than daffodils. But the, all of those are going, and then more ranunculus in the unheated tunnels, and then we go into those cool flowers that I was saying that we're blooming that we're planting now. They start blooming in May. And then we go on to peonies. We have about two thousand peonies on the farm. So those all start going in June is kind of just a blur because we're just constantly picking peonies. All of the woody shrubs, like the lilacs and the viburnum, all those kind of things are going then. And then we start into the like the outdoor annual kind of things, like the zinnias and the sunflowers, and all of that is through like July and then August and, and then. The dahlias usually start going in August. This year, they're just kind of getting going now in September. But dahlias, and uh, I didn't even say Lysianthus, but lizianthus is all through there as well. And yeah, until frost is usually for us the tenth of October. We like to say sometimes we'll have an early frost, and then other times we'll have a little one in October, and then nothing again until almost November. So then December, we do winter greens and wreaths and that kind of stuff. Uh, we have some evergreen forest and that um, that we cut from and then yeah that's the year (laughs) that is a
0: full year of flowers (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) and I know for me listening to this you know kind of at the end of a growing season like It sounds really exhausting, but if I was to listen to what you were just saying in like middle of February, I would get the dreamy feeling of, oh my gosh, all these beautiful flowers. (laughs) I want to plant them
1: all. Totally. (laughs) Yes. I think that's why I buy the seeds in like in January and that, and it's always like, oh, there's all these seeds. And then, oh, now we got to plant them all. (laughs) Right. I would
0: like to see the stats on that, like seeds being ordered like in August, September are probably a lot lower than the ones in January and February.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, so
0: I have to ask then what, and this is probably like asking a mother to pick their favorite child. But I
1: know exactly what the question is going to be. <laughs> for a
0: flower farmer, what is your
1: favorite flowers to grow? Oh uh, yeah, it's really tough. I mean, when people ask what my favorite flower is, it's like, well, it depends on the season and the color and what you're using it for. All right, so I can kind of dance around it a little bit. I do love ranunculus for sure. There was a few years of learning them and figuring them out. They're not the easiest crop to grow, so figuring them out. And once I finally did, then it's like, okay, we've kind of figured them out, and they're pretty amazing and beautiful for the spring for sure. And then I do love peonies. They're pretty nice, but I mean, they there's a lot of them, and they're pretty exhausting because we're picking peonies usually like four times a day, so they kind of wear out pretty quick I get a little bit tired of them and then I do like lisianthus is amazing all the time and then galias are pretty beautiful right now too so there's kind of everything <laughs>
0: So now I'm going to ask you the opposite question. What is a flower that you absolutely do not like to grow?
1: Well, we don't grow. I mean, I don't like just like seeing them and all that or like Gerber daisies. They're like, meh to me. They just like, (laughs) "Ah." I don't know. We don't grow them. And when I see them, if I ever have, if someone has like specifically requested them, which usually doesn't happen because I talk them out of it, they're, yeah, I would say Gerber daisies are about my least favorite flower.
0: I would say that is a very, like, early 2000s trend flower. And when you think of wedding flowers, that was definitely something you saw in everyone's bouquet. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I'm with you. I'm not on the Gerber Daisy trend. (laughs) So you do quite a bit with your local community when it comes to flowers. So tell us about how you engage with your local community to share your love of flowers.
1: Yeah, the, I think the one that we have the most fun at, and I'm, it's fresh in my mind too, because we just had one of our um, sessions this week, but we go to a couple of the different um, nursing homes in the area. And one of them has had us sign up for the whole year and we go once a month. And we take buckets of the flowers that are blooming and we do um, design workshop with the residents. So it's so fun to go in there and uh, like we take when we were there with the tulips, they were all just like hungry for anything alive because it had been snowing for so long. And then uh, when we went with the p we're talking about all the different ones that they had in their gardens and what colors they had and what the ones they like and all the... Darn ants that get on them, and that so it was really a good conversation with them about that. And one lady, she was like one of the first times we went. She's like, "Well, I used to do the church flowers every Sunday. I used to have to do two arrangements for the church." So she was really like proud of that. So it's really just neat getting them talking about that. The one she has like a little balcony apartment in the nursing home and she always makes me come over and see the planters that her son has brought her with all the different like petunias and coleus and different um like planter flowers growing there but she always wants me to go and see them and tells me how he started all the seeds and he's growing them for her and that. So that's really fun. And then uh we've also realized that um when we go we make like a little mason jar arrangement with them and talk through each of the kind of flowers. But we realize pretty quick that when we take zinnias or when we take like a certain flower it all has to be the same color flower because if you have different colors they all want that that other color like if they'll be oh but i want no i don't want that one i want i want the orange one or no no don't get i don't want this one or then do you happen the one time there was a couple of them sitting in the bucket like a couple flowers we had used the one lady could totally see it and she was like do you happen to have any more of those snapdragons? And I was like, "Well, you can see that we have one in the bucket right there." So I'm like, "Sure, yeah, I'll get that for you." But they're so funny; they love making their arrangements and and making the the flower and talking about the flower. So that's lots of fun that we do with them.
0: That is such a feel good. Activity like that just warms my heart. And the fact that they can share with you what they had in their gardens and what they grew just, you know, really speaks to flowers in general and how they are a memory maker, whether good, bad, or otherwise. And having that piece of their memory come back for, you know, just a fun amount of time and then to have something bright and colorful in their room like, what a great, great idea. Are you looking to supercharge your farm business skills? Register for a Farm Credit Canada event. FCC events are designed to sharpen your management practices and build personal and professional growth. They offer in-person and virtual options, and the best part, they are free to attend. FCC Events brings experts from all areas of finance, personal development, transition, economics, and more to explore topics important to today's farm business owners and entrepreneurs. Gain practical advice, connect with peers, and get the knowledge that you need to take your operation to the next level. As a host of previous FCC events, I've personally witnessed farmers gain a deeper understanding of our industry and expand their network with folks who share the same passion and dedication to their farm businesses. I'm looking forward to heading out on the road again this winter to host the FCC Young Farmers Summit, and I hope to see you there. For more information and to check out the latest event lineup, head to fcc.ca. Forward slash events, or the link in today's show notes. Do you do any on-farm events for in your growing season?
1: Yeah, we usually have like like an open farm kind of a day where people can come and see that. We also, for the past three years, planted about an acre or so of uh, just like birdseed sunflower. So we go to the co-op and buy a bag of birdseed and oilseed sunflowers and we plant those to plan on having a sunflower blooming field because it's, with the flower farming, people always think that it's going to look like Tuscany or they think that it's going to be totally in bloom. But I always say to them, if that's happening, there's a problem. Like the I'm not out there or something's wrong if the field is totally in bloom. So when we pick the sunflowers every night, we're picking them basically closed. Like they're just starting to open up so people don't get to see the field and bloom. So they're like, where are all these flowers? Where are they? So for that purpose, we plant uh, the sunflowers just to let them bloom out. And then we usually have photographers come and do sessions in the sunflowers and uh, Different times we've cut a maze through it and had that uh, so people could walk through with the maze and that. So that did, we ended up just chopping that. Um, it bloomed for probably about two weeks or so. We, we figured though um, after the first year, we learned that we had to chop it fairly soon because we didn't want all those sunflowers to go to like mature seed because the wild turkeys really like it in the field in the wintertime. But they definitely, sunflowers start to get to be a weed when they are volunteer growing
0: everywhere the next year. Absolutely. I have that happening in the front of my house. I kind of just let it go because it is what it is. But uh, yeah, this year I had one get about seven feet tall and the stock was thick. And my lovely dog, Kevin, came and knocked it over and it was laying on the lawn. He looked a little guilty, but it's laying on the lawn and it's still blooming like it is. It is a weed at this point. (laughs) A pretty one, but it is a weed at this point. (laughs) What are your future plans for Harris Flower Farm? What do you hope to do in the future?
1: I don't think I want to maybe like necessarily grow very much more. I usually have like four full-time and one part-time team members during the season. And that's about enough for me. I don't think I really want to manage many more people. So that's about good. And... I think just really honing in on the weddings that we do, like I really want them to be people who really appreciate it and really understand the thought behind it. Because with our weddings, for sure, like it's not cookie cutter and it's not something that you're going to look in a book and this bride and that bride and anybody else who picks that picture is going to have those flower bouquets. Like it's really a snapshot of the day of what's blooming like it's it's really what's in season so i really want people to enjoy that like and understand that and understand where i all the thought that goes into it how important it is to me like I think any artist kind of like if someone's not like, Oh my gosh, this is amazing or if they just kinda of like, Oh, that's pretty, it just doesn't feel the same. It's like it's like, Oh, did they not like it? Is there something wrong with it? Because they just said it's pretty. I want people to really to resonate with it and resonate with what what we're doing. So I think if anything it's almost like honing in on who our ideal wedding customer is and then just I think continuing continuing. <laughs> like that's the biggest thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, just continue to
0: grow on subscriptions and like you said, grow on the weddings and have the, the ideal customer for your wedding, not the one that flips through the book and says, I would like red roses for this, right? Like it's it's a little bit different. A question that I have, I guess this is probably twofold. So the first part of this question is what advice do you have for folks who are current flower farmers? for growing and expanding and continuing with their flower farm? As someone who's been doing this for 15 years, what's your best piece of advice for them?
1: Just know that every year is going to be different and it's not going to be perfect every year. You are going to have trays that are going to have seedlings die in them. And you kind of have to just assume that that's going to happen because things get busy. And, but don't, I don't know, don't try and grow too fast. Right? There's so many people where it's like, they see what I have and it's like, oh, well, I want that. And it's like, well, that took a long time to get that. And there was a lot of learning all along that. And I've, I'm sure I've wasted a lot of money, but I've also made money on things. So just understanding that it doesn't happen overnight and you don't need to do everything. I mean, of all those flowers saying that we grow, we don't grow every single flower that we use there are definitely ones that it's easier for other growers to grow them so i go to them to grow them the bulk of those things like we have a a grower near us that grows really great mums so i go to them for mums i don't try growing them because it's just they do that all the time and i have another grower who grows really great snapdragons we grow snapdragons too But to have snapdragons every week, we go to them. So it's just, you don't have to do everything and you don't have to have it all right now.
0: So even further back for people who haven't even started a flower farm, but they are envisioning the twirling. What advice do you have for them in the planning stages of starting a flower farm?
1: Just try growing something. Can you actually grow something? Like. If you have never grown anything before, don't think that you're going to all of a sudden go through those seed catalogs and have 20 different varieties of things because each thing needs to be grown a certain way. Like like when I said about ranunculus, so there was probably three years where I rotted all of the ranunculus because I wasn't listening to what it needed to be and what they wanted. So, I mean, I made that mistake for a long time until I figured it out. And a lot of it was figuring out what worked for me. Because just because like a certain grower grows it this way doesn't mean that that's what's going to work in your climate or my climate. Like the way you have to really listen to the plants and do what they want, whether you want them to do it a certain way or not. Like, I mean, if they're not going to grow, like I I was thinking because other people who are in warmer climates than us plant their ranunculus in the fall outside. So I was like, okay, I'll plant mine outside in the fall not thinking where I am, that ranunculus don't, they don't handle the cold. And I just was like, oh yeah, this is what everyone says to do. This is when you have to do it. And so many people will be, um, be fixated on like planting schedule or can I see your planting schedule and uh, when you plant things and how do you, what are you doing with that? But it really just depends on where you are and you really have to learn your climate and your growing before you try and get it from somebody else because you're not going to. It doesn't matter what somebody else does.
0: For sure. And I even think of our own property. You know, the the soil that's in my yard is completely different than the soil that's down the road in one of our fields. You know, you have to figure out, like you said, what's going to work for you, what's going to work for your climate. And there's probably going to be some things that die along the way and that's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Janice, it has been lovely getting to know you today and hearing all about the flowers. It's making me making me real happy, and I know the what, folks listening as well. My last question for you is: What is the most rewarding part about being a rural woman for you?
1: I would say just like calling myself a farmer and saying I'm a farmer. There's so many times at the market in the beginning years and even recently where someone will go, oh, your gardens must be so pretty or, oh, did you pick these from your gardens? It's like, no, I picked them from my field. They're planted in rows. We grow them by the thousand. Like this is my real job and this is I'm a farmer. I mean, there's so many times when people will say about when it's agriculture day or all these different things and all the pictures are about food. And it's like, no, farmers are flowers too, where this is our crop, this is what we're growing. So just educating that and keeping like my youngest is, we have a daughter, she's our youngest. And I mean, just making it hopefully... I mean, she might want to go off to school and do something else and then come back. But um, just making it that it's not weird or it's not unattainable for her to be a farmer because so many times, like I mean, I'm the farmer in our family. My husband helps on the farm and he like go like he does do tractor driving. He has his own tractor, all that kind of stuff. But I mean, I'm the farmer and too often there's times when we go into a dealership or we go into different places and they want to talk to him. And and luckily he knows better and he tells them to talk to me, but just having that not an issue in the future for my daughter, if she wants to, and also my sons that they can take this over and not have the opposite of like, oh, you're a flower farmer as a guy having that kind of thing to that stigma. So yeah.
0: <laughs> Just breaking stigmas all over the place. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Janice, for sharing your story with us today and sharing your love of flowers with us. For the folks who would like to connect with you after the show, where can they find you online?
1: Yeah, our website is harrisflowerfarm.ca and then also through our social media, through Instagram and Facebook, search Harris Flower Farm on both of those and We post lots of pretty pictures so you can get your fill of uh, flowers (laughs) and images.
0: (laughs) Yeah. All the good stuff. Well, thank you again so much. I truly appreciate you sharing your story. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman Podcast. The Rural Woman Podcast is more than just a podcast. We are a community. A huge thank you to the Rural Woman podcast team, audio editor Max Hofer, and admin support from Kim & Co online. A special thanks to our Patreon executive producers, Sarah Reedner from Happiness by the Acre and Carrie Munben from Laystone Farms. To learn how you can become a Patreon executive producer or other ways to financially support the show, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com to learn more. Be sure to hit the follow or subscribe button wherever you listen to the podcast to get the latest episodes directly on your playlist. And if you are loving the show, please be sure to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that accepts ratings and reviews. You can connect with us on social media at the Rural Woman Podcast and with me at Wild Rose Farmer. One of the best ways you can support the show is by sharing it. Send this episode to a friend or share on your social media. Let's strengthen and amplify the voices of women in agriculture together. Until next time, my friend, keep sharing your story. Did you know? that you can get this same great episode of The Rural Woman Podcast ad-free? I get it. Listening to ads during a podcast isn't always my favorite either. But in order to keep the lights and coffee pot on here at The Rural Woman Podcast Studios, they are necessary. I am so grateful to each and every one of my sponsors. But if you yourself would like to skip the ads while supporting the show, consider joining me over on Patreon. Patrons of The Rural Woman Podcast get ad-free episodes starting at Tier 5 on their podcast player of choice each week, plus some other great benefits. Find out more by heading to the link in today's show notes to learn how you can become a patron through Patreon.